0: How has DNVGL been able to attract new hires that are roughly 40% racially diverse and 50% female over the past several years? In today's Greenlight episode, I will speak with Marion Hill, SVP of Renewables Advisory for North America at DNVGL, about the effective diversity, equity, inclusion initiatives DNV has been implementing and why. What it's been like to be a female engineer in the clean energy industry for over a decade, and DNV's impressive recent work with ONG. Thanks for tuning into the Green Light. Now let's dive in. Hi, I'm Catherine McLean, founder and CEO of Dylan Green, and today I have with me Marianne Hill. Marianne is senior vice president of the Renewables Advisory Firm at DNV GL North America, and she's based in Montreal, Canada. Welcome, Marianne. Thank you, Catherine, for the invitation. So Marianne is my first guest outside of the U.S. So, very excited. <laughs> Excellent opportunity. Different perspectives, all part of different perspectives. Exactly, exactly. So, with over 13 years of experience at DNVGL, you've gone from an independent engineer and senior project manager to a vice president of project development and engineering to the SVP of Renewables Advisory for North America. What would you say are the top requisite skills to succeed in project development in our industry?
1: I think one of the first things is really being open to new challenges. Companies right now in our industry have so much opportunity to grow. So when we do have leaders that step up that want to have a new challenge, they're really readily given that opportunity. So it's just really that openness, that desire to take on and, and lead. I think secondly is the willingness to learn. Our industry is changing so quickly right now in terms of technology, in terms of contract mechanisms, in terms of off-take structure, or digitalization, it's that willingness to continue to learn and push yourself beyond what you know, to think about things differently and, and be open to new ways of solving problems.
0: I want to talk about women in engineering, so you're obviously an engineer. What's it been like for you as a woman working in engineering in our industry? And have you seen much progress over the years with more women pursuing engineering?
1: The renewable industry, particularly, is younger and more progressive, and has always attracted more women. When I've gone to oil and gas type industry associations versus our renewable industry association, there's always more women in it. So it has been a very welcoming industry from that perspective. And we are evolving on the terms of number of women within management positions or board positions. Um, There's still progress to go, but one of the metrics that I like to look at is whether my new young hires out of university, do they see us as a challenge? Are they being well accompanied and and accepted and, and see their career progression? And those a point where they don't see being a woman as part of our industry as a problem or a barrier and that they have equal opportunities, I think that is where we are starting to get success. And so that is really motivating to see that our young female engineers see them equal opportunities all the way through. And so that I'm something that I'm really proud of where we've accomplished as an industry.
0: What are some specific ways DNV is addressing gender? So for example, you know, from 2013 to 2020, you all have increased women in management by about 7% and roughly 50% of your new hires have been women which is about 20% higher than your percentage of female employees in 2013. What are the most impactful ways that you've been addressing gender diversity, equity and inclusion, whether it's been through unconscious bias trainings or mentorship programs, DEI commitments, et cetera?
1: I don't think that there's one meaningful way to impact diversity. We really have to be pulling on all of the levers that we have access to. On the recruitment side, it's so essential to get diverse set of candidates applying to your position. So writing the job descriptions differently, posting them on Rise, um, and taking the extra time it takes to ensure that the candidate pool that is applying is diverse. On the professional development side, yeah, it's mentorship. It's adequately providing training opportunities for candidates or employees that want firm training and not just to learn on the job. It's breaking down the barriers so that women don't see each other as competition, but as allies. And so that is something that we've been working on for the past couple of years is building up that allyship amongst women. And particularly when we're in that 20 and 30% range, we can be naturally more competitive. And so th- that is something that I haven't seen necessarily done as well across or identified necessarily as a point, but you know I think something that we've been working on And then there's all the way through of getting people on speaking spots and getting people presenting salary differences. And so that we are getting the the entire opportunity to attract, retain, promote and and keep great candidates across the category. I think there's another point of having more female in management is enabling that different work day or different work week. Um, Whereas when I started, I saw multiple females drop out of the industry because they couldn't work for a day weeks enabling that to, to happen and recognizing that is an, a challenge and it does keep our women and their diverse perspectives into the labor force is so critical
0: so i want to talk a little bit about increasing racial diversity equity and inclusion at your firm what are some top priorities and why and what are some notable successes and advice that you can share yeah, so the
1: energy transition is complex you know our industry is disrupting the established industry and we're being disrupted so we need the best diverse perspectives that we can get to help us win in this transformations. And so that does require uh, having racial diversity on our staff. And we have been hiring about 40% people of color for the past couple of years. However, are predominantly Indian and Asian staff. And so we have been building up our networks with African-Americans, Blacks, uh, and posting our jobs. We started posting our jobs on National Society of Black Engineers and trying to ensure that when we're posting positions, that we're posting outside of our standard networks and trying to attract others. And that the candidates, the talent is out there is finding a way to bring them into our industry. Talking
0: a little bit about industry trends, I want to talk about hydrogen because. As everybody is talking about hydrogen at the moment. It's like the buzzword I keep getting asked about. So I want to switch topics a little bit and and talk um, about that. So I noticed that you all have recently launched a hydrogen industry consortium. What role do you think hydrogen currently plays and will play in years to come as far as sort of decarbonizing our energy system as quickly as possible? Great question.
1: Um, So hydrogen is starting from a very minimal amount of our energy system. Um, It's really going to start to grow in about 2025 and then Become by 2055 percent of the energy mix. It's going to be used in heavy vehicles, in deep sea shipping, in heating for buildings, particularly in countries that already have established gas networks. Right now, we're predominantly gray hydrogen, but we're moving to blue hydrogen, which is made through natural gas. And then eventually, we'll be able to make it potentially by 2030, 35 economically from predominantly from green hydrogen, so directly from renewables. So we've got a transition happening from the steam methane reforming to the electrolyzers. But there are a couple of projects right now, wind and solar projects, that are already demonstrating renewable green energy to hydrogen. Right now, they're particularly on island nations or projects that are really, really far from the transmission grid. And so instead of building out a new transmission line, they're generating hydrogen. So those are some of the exceptions that we have right now. But as these prototypes continue to be built out and we get the electrolyzers costs down, then we will be able to bring more hydrogen to part of our energy system. And by 2050, we do see hydrogen coming in as an energy storage mechanism and really enabling the greater partition of renewables on the grid and actually charging hydrogen on a daily basis when we have a peak amount of sun coming onto the grid.
0: So the last question I have for you is really impressed when I read about DNV, you know, your tax equity deal with Anji affiliates from earlier this year, which consisted of two gigawatts of new renewable energy generation capacity. I believe it represented one of the largest tax equity financing transactions ever in the US market. What are some projects that you're working on that you're the most proud of and why? Yeah,
1: that energy transaction was something that we were really proud of. It included 1.5 gigawatts of wind, but also 500 megawatts of solar and have all of that coming together and timing at the same time was critical. And so, so many people involved in getting everything together at this at the same time. But the other one that we're really interested in because of the impact that it has on decarbonizing our energy systems is the solar market. and it solar market is a maturing market, but right now there are really literally hundreds of solar developers, and there's a consolidation happening uh, as we see big oil and gas companies, private equity firms, investments coming into the solar space, and so there's a huge consolidation of solar platforms. And so we've worked on over 40 gigawatts of solar M&A this year. And so that is just a tremendous amount of data for benchmarking development operations of solar assets but it's just demonstrating the rate of pace of change in the solar industry. I think the other one that's really exciting is storage PPAs, mm-hmm. whereas on wind and solar, the, the power purchase agreements have been typically the least negotiable contracts and solar the, the, the most negotiable. So really coming in and sitting at the table to negotiate some of the terms and, and really defining the various different use applications for storage, mm-hmm. uh, because it is very different whether it's on the wholesale or retail side, being used from the utility or from a private to uh, independent power producer mm-hmm. is just really ch- changing the way that these contracts are being designed and implemented. It's really
0: exciting in the moment. Well, thanks so much for uh, your time. And it was great learning more about you and your business. Thank you, Catherine. Thanks for listening to the Greenlight Podcast. Are you looking for your next role in climate tech? Join the latest growing network of clean tech professionals and be the first to know about when industry-leading clean tech companies first post new job openings, from development to finance to marketing, by checking out our website, dylan-green.com slash latest hyphen jobs. Dylan Green is transforming business through talent. You can also find us on YouTube where we engage with today's top clean energy leaders.